let's talk science. From the University of Groningen, this is MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all thoroughly enjoying your semester holidays. For this episode, Jana and I sat down with Nina Hansen. Nina is an assistant professor at the social psychology department of the University of Groningen. Her current main interest concerns how social change in developing countries is instigated by the introduction of different aspects of modernization, such as information communication technology, microfinancing services, energy and education. This episode is full of valuable advice on how you might get involved in projects you're passionate about. As this is the summer edition of our podcast, I hope that at least some of you will be able to listen to this while lying on the beach. So without further ado, please welcome to the MindWise podcast, Nina Hansen. Okay, we should say welcome back, Nina, because it might be interesting for the listener that we actually <laughs> had this conversation already last week, and then there was a technical hiccup and... It was deleted. So therefore, thank you for sitting down with us again. <laughs> You're welcome. And last week, I thought it's funny. We're so relying on technology that if it doesn't work out once in a while, we almost feel betrayed. And I felt a bit betrayed by the recording device last week, but I've learned from it. So you're the first social psychologist on the podcast. And a lot of the things we talked about last week were very fascinating, and interesting. So it would be great to touch upon several subjects again. Mm -hmm without necessarily, I guess, repeating ourselves. Your background, your education has been fairly diverse. What would you say, considering the work you're doing right now, were the most formative years for you in your education? Mm -hmm. Maybe to mention for the students here is that yeah. um, I did the master's in social sciences and I focused on international law, sociology, economics and social psychology. And I was very much interested in how cultures and societies are changing and how people live together. During my studies, I learned from different disciplines, lots of theorizing from different perspectives. But the further I got my studies, I realized I'm really interested in individual behavior. So how is the environment actually changing individuals and what kind of decisions people take, depending on the changes around them. Yeah, that was actually my starting point. And, and my, in my master thesis, I realized that social psychology is actually the area where you can learn about human behavior and the influence of the environment on cognitions, motivations and behavior. And um, that was the starting point. So that was uh, the starting point. But I think other things on, on, on that way were really interesting internships I did, where I really applied the knowledge I learned at the university to the outside world. For example, I did an internship in South Africa where I worked with uh, different students on culture sensitivity topics. And I realized also that, you know, when you come from one culture, that's maybe not the lens of the world or the perspective, but there are always different perspectives. And that's, this really broadened also my interest in cultures. On top of that, yeah, I, I did one year at the University of Berkeley. And this was really the starting point where I realized that academia is really the area where I would like to stay. In Germany, back in Germany in those, in those days, it sounds a long time ago, it isn't that long ago, but I had mainly, like you have now, big lectures. 
And only in my, in my master's we had small interaction seminars where you could discuss things. But still it was really based on, on the classical readings. Whereas at Berkeley, suddenly students were encouraged to think further, to come up with societal topics and to apply their scientific knowledge and to think about how to solve or how to analyze different aspects. And this was very encouraging, also very much stimulated by the teachers. And that's where I got very enthusiastic also about yeah, staying in academia and combining research with teaching. We are currently taking the course career perspectives and a lot of students I know are interested in social psychology and might want to pursue a research career. I think we also mentioned this last week. Maybe we cannot expect a course to guide us in our career choice. So, and I thought it would be nice if you could sort of recap the story, how you got involved with the research you're currently doing, because mm -hmm. I think it's a nice example of showing initiative, mm -hmm. following your interest, and then sort of through that be becoming successful. We've met you in the context of the research you did in Ethiopia, where you looked at the impact educational aids had, specifically laptops, on the value development of children. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. I'm trained as an experimental psychologist, so I learned all many of those things that you're currently learning in your education. And I've very much profited from that insight to really yeah, strengthen my analytical thinking as well. But uh, during my PhD, I realized I really would like to know more about the real world and how, how cultures are changing. And the context where you can study these, these changes is, is the context of development aid, where people receive oftentimes one aspect of modernization, in this case, a small laptop given to students who never had access to laptops before. And we followed these students for two years to see these changes. But I think the interesting part, how I got involved with that, mm -hmm. is that I was, I was on vacation in Ethiopia. I have, for my interdisciplinary study, I have many friends who work around the world in very different disciplines. And one of my friends is, is actually um, working together, worked together with the Ethiopian government um, consulting them to um, strengthen the economy in the country and to capacitate the economic development. That these are buzzwords mm -hmm. from that field. And actually he invited me to talk um, to a team who's working on e-learning and different projects and how they could incorporate social psychological research. And that was a very interesting discussion. They never thought about that intergroup contact is crucial to tear down prejudice and things like that. So. Um, When I went back to, to the, uh, Honingen, actually, I was reading again that this organization, One Laptop Per Child, is about to sub dis um, deploy the first laptops in Ethiopia. So I went back to the friend of mine and asked him, so actually, do you know who's handling that? This is, for me, a very fascinating research idea that one piece of technology is given to children and assumed to improve their educational outcomes. But the question is, is that indeed the case? or may it also trigger other changes which may not necessarily be intended by this organization. And then a friend of mine told me, you met that team for lunch. Um, yeah, maybe you want to contact them. So I emailed them. They remembered me and then actually a week later I was sitting in the plane and I was very lucky that Tom Postmus, um, um, a professor in social psychology, he was very fascinated by that topic as well. And he said, that's a once in a lifetime chance, Nina, take it. It's well a risk because you never know whether you can publish on that data, but that's a great chance. So we set up, we went there, we negotiated things, and four weeks later, the first students went there to follow students for two years. And that was actually the starting part. That was really just meeting the right people at the right mm. moment, 
getting support to do something very different and then having a great environment where you can also engage students in that project mm-hmm. and um, be able to follow up with such a project for two years was actually the starting point of mm-hmm. all the other research projects I'm currently doing. So showing an initial initiative opened so mm-hmm. many doors for you. And for all the students or non-students that are listening to this, I will put Nina's article in the comment section so you can just click on the link and actually explore what the what results were found and what the implications might be for that. And also I will put up links to the One Laptop Per Child organization and you can read more about this. Maybe just a few comments to the organization because it has received criticism in the last couple of years, for example, concerning their move from being a non-profit to being a profit or organization and actually having a business branch within the organization. So there has been some criticism there, right, that mm-hmm. donations might be um, irresponsibly handled, etc. And some of that you experienced firsthand also, didn't you? I have to phrase that slightly okay. differently. So what I, I think one, one of the big criticisms <laughs> that you find on the internet is um, just um, spending $180 on, on a laptop is not all the investment that needs to be done to be able to achieve the goals of that organization. Um, what we've also seen, and also there's lots of information on blogs, that the accompanying costs are often underestimated or not covered by, organi- by other organizations. And accompanying costs are, for example, in Ethiopia, not the children had to recharge their laptops in the schools because they did not have um, electricity in most of the homes. So, But some schools were not able to facilitate that. Um, then if you have no internet access, which was the case, um, you cannot put up new software. So imagine that you have your smartphone and you're going to be stuck with the same apps from the beginning on. I guess it would be less interesting to continue using that after some time. That's also what we've seen after one and a half years in Ethiopia. If it's not invested into all these accompanying things and the costs are not provided by someone, then these programs um, can actually fail. And that's often not uh, when governments decide to invest, for example, into 500,000 laptops for children in elementary schools, which has been done in in, in Peru, for example, or Rwanda, large sums were spent by governments in laptops. This is not enough. And that's what I've seen most in other countries. And I've been consulted by different uh, um, organizations and also governments that um, and I keep on telling them that make sure that you can support the program so that it has a long-lasting mm. impact. And even though it might not have a long-lasting impact, some people might argue that even this one-time intervention might be beneficial enough to justify the expenses. Um, I think one last short yeah. thing is also that I think just giving laptops is also not the whole story. There needs to be an educational approach how to include it in schools, mm. how to improve education, and also train teachers how to use them in school. Our results show that teachers hardly didn't use the laptops, mm. but it was really the uses of the children took the laptops home and used it individually and were really self-motivated finding out different things on the laptop. And this made actually, uh, actually fueled in the result that we found. You mentioned internships that you took during mm. your education. And I guess a couple of us are also considering to take internships. And I think that nicely kind of links up 
with your current work. We're sitting in your office and I'm looking at the blackboard <laughs> with the headline learning in Sri Lanka. And off record, we earlier said that you met here yesterday yes. with your research group who's going to do some work in Sri Lanka. And it might be interesting for undergraduate students to hear that there are actually some bachelor students in the program. And what exactly are you planning to do in Sri Lanka? This is a project I, I do together with my PhD student, Malus House, and it's on the impact of giving women um, small loans, so-called microcredits, and training. And this, the assumption is that these microcredits should increase um, female empowerment. Research showed that that is not always the case. And there are also some drawbacks that the women often experience lots of tension at home and conflicts and uh, in, yeah, increased intimate partner violence among women who are part of these organizations or part of these programs. And we want to learn more about this dynamics. From a social psychological perspective, you can imagine that giving uh, women a resource that men also would like to have is, is changing the power dynamics within a relationship, within a household, especially in countries which are very tra traditional, very collectivistic. So we first want to do some more qualitative research to understand these challenges and then to see whether we can um, um, in, in, yeah, adjust existing trainings that women receive by inviting the husbands so that they learn together how to take decisions and negotiate um, obligations with respect to the income generating activity. And this is in a very short, short uh, uh, summary what we will be doing. And this is a project where a PhD student is involved but also one research master's student who um, will be joining and two um, bachelor students mm -hmm. who will be writing a literature study and um, one of them is also writing their bachelor thesis within that project. They all have very independent projects, but they're depending on each other and they will be collaborating with each other. I can imagine that they're very excited. One of the complaints that students sometimes voice is that some of the courses are too theoretical and we're too many students but I think it's quite encouraging to hear that especially within the master the classes get so much smaller mm -hmm. and there's so much applied work to pursue especially within social psychology mm -hmm. so that's very encouraging. And I think when you, you, you watch out um, there are many very interesting projects that my colleagues in the whole department are working on not only in social, but also other parts. But in social, we uh, we really have the focus of applying, applying knowledge. And lots of our students go to the field to collect data. They work with organizations. And these are potential career paths for later on. And that's what we keep on stressing, that um, take the chances of, of, of getting involved with the outside world or with also research, which tries to answer big questions. Because that might be a first step to realize what you would be interested in doing afterwards. So my advice to students is always take initiative and try to talk to talk to lecturers, but also to practitioners to learn from, from, from their career path and see whether you'd be interested in. And to be honest, I also did internships where I realized that's not the thing I would like to do. But this mm. was also a very important learning uh, experience. Mm. I guess just as important. Yeah. How long is your research going to take in Sri Lanka? Or how long are you staying there now? I will only be staying at the beginning mm -hmm. and then the students will stay for two months. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I think to really get to know a culture, you should really stay there for half a year. Mm -hmm. This is also in line with research on culture um, experiences that you go through a culture shock phase and things like that. But um, given that they all are part of the university and they have to you know finish their master's 
bachelor's and master's. So we could only restrict it to two months. But I think within those two months, there will be ample of time to, to apply the knowledge, to learn things, to collect data. And all of them have single programs where they have to collect data and analyze that. But I think because they are with the four of them, they can easily help each other. That should be possible and feasible within four months. In a cultural context where you sometimes experience things that you may have not envisioned beforehand. Hmm. But that's also the, the, the thing. You, what you can see also on the cards that one of the students mentioned that they want to learn the stress management and improve their social skills in a very different cultural context. And that's actually what I often hmm. see with the students who go abroad. You are really put in a very different context and hmm. uh, find your way through. And that can really strengthen your self-confidence. Very good. And great to see that our university is involved in research like that. Was that one of the reasons why you chose Roningen? Or could it be said about most universities that everything becomes more multidisciplinary, more international, especially within the field of applied social psychology? Yeah, the reason why I mainly chose Groningen in the first place was that I knew that, that this would be uh, there would be no new group set up by Tom Posmus and social psychology and that many new colleagues would be hired. And that was something I, I was very encouraged by and motivated to apply because I thought being a member of a new group where I was assuming that people would do very uh, cut, edge-cutting and new interesting mm. research, that was actually the main driving force. And yeah, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Germany. The German um, academic uh, world is slightly different to the Dutch world. It's much more hierarchical. And I felt like, um, no, it's time to be more independent and be able to set up a new research line. And I was very happy to get the support here. And uh, this university is really supporting also interdisciplinary research. So I collaborate with people in sociology and development economics. And um, that's where my heart really goes, this interdisciplinary work. Great, yeah. And you seem very passionate, which is hopefully also very encouraging to the students who have often considered to use an office hour and ask you questions, but have never actually gone through with it. So if there's someone listening to this who has more questions concerning the research or future projects also that you might get involved with, or just to get a clearer idea of what a social research master might look like, then I guess your doors are open. Yeah, they are open. Very but also good. those of my colleagues, so okay. <laughs> have more doors around <laughs> Great. Maybe this is one subject I always like to bring up in recent podcasts and also in future podcasts, and it concerns the new university movement that we've seen over the last couple of months. Um, did you closely observe it? Yeah, I closely observed it. And um, I hope you don't mind if I say that now, but mm. the last time you asked me, so what do you think about the movement in Amsterdam? Yeah. And my response to that was, uh, what about, yeah, why only the movement in Amsterdam? That's something that actually should interested interest all students and also faculty members because what the students are fighting for in Amsterdam is is, is something that I think all students on the faculty members should be fighting for it's for more yeah participation in decision making within the university and that's something I'm from my own university I still remember that it's oftentimes further to, to struggle for that because when I studied now that's not that long ago, <laughs> suddenly um, university fees, school fees were introduced in Germany. And so far, education at that time was for free. And you may have heard on the news that last year, last year they were abandoned again because students were fighting for many years against that and also politicians and there were different parties involved. So in that case, um, something that has been had been introduced by the government was 
taken back because of all the protests. And um, I think that's also here when you now see students asking for much participation. That's also something that I think every university would profit from because it should be a democratic organization where all involved parties and students are an important part of the university mm-hmm. should be involved. What kind of investments should be taken, how whether um, programs are closed and how to improve the quality of education. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's maybe up to us students also to gr- create better platforms on which we can communicate. I think it would be nice to wrap up the podcast with some unrelated, somehow personal questions um, that you don't have to answer. But one thing I always wonder is that y- the workload of an associate professor seems to be pretty high. You're also a supervisor of many theses, of PhD and master and even bachelor students. How do you balance the stress? Do you get stressed out, etc.? These sort of things. Do you have a magic, a magic technique <laughs> on stress reduction? I think the the, the benefit of, of this job is that um, you have a lot of freedom to decide, uh, yeah, the topics you're going to work on. You have many new students who come in and go every year, so there's a lot of development and new interactions, which we actually encourage me and motivate me to continue going. And um, I can just full outly say I really enjoy my job and it has so many different facets. So I think it will never get boring. Um, when it comes to stress levels, I think it's more the question that you have to oh, at one point also to, to call a night and night and then have <laughs> um, an evening. But I think that's not a problematic thing for myself. Um, I enjoy um, working with the students and especially this project. And also I'm very curious about what's going to happen in Sri Lanka. And these are very long working days. But um, I also learn a lot, and I think that's a very special thing about the job as being academic, that it's a lifelong learning experience. Great. Maybe um, one advice for students from you, considering your career? I would say that, because we discussed it last time, I think a course like Career Perspective is a nice starting point to already start thinking about possible pathways in your bachelor's. And because the third year and the end of the third year come very quickly and the quicker you start thinking about it, but also approaching lecturers or practitioners or maybe also friends of, of your parents to discuss what options are out there, I think it's a good point. Yeah, connecting to others to, to learn from others and by that maybe also learning more what you might be interested in. And My advice also when it comes to choosing a master's, I would not choose a master's because of a career path, except you already know you want to become that specific person. But I would choose it based on your interests, on the courses you very much enjoyed in your bachelor's. Because also research has shown that if you do the things you enjoy, you will excel and will be good in it anyway. And I think then you also will be more creative in finding a nice career path. So that would be my advice. Choose the, the master's you're interested in and... Also, maybe consider uh, staying in Groningen, which is often, I think, for international students, something like, uh, why stay here if already moved abroad? But I think we offer quite unique uh, master's programs here that, for example, now the students I'm working with, they go abroad as part of their education. But this is also because I know them from their bachelor's and we can start developing these ideas from from very, yeah, not early time on, but from some time on. If you start a master's somewhere, and you only have one year, there's hardly no preparation time to make these special things happen. But if you are already in a university where you think you have great learning opportunities, then reach out and become a voluntary student assistant, research assistant, 
for example, to get to know the lecturers because uh, for us it's also nicer to get to know the people in person than to lecture in front of 400 students. Hmm. Thank you for your advice. Nina, we hope to have you back on the podcast once you come back from Sri Lanka or once your students are back and maybe you'll find some exciting results there. For now, thank you very much. Thank you very much for interviewing me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This podcast was a production of MindWise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Cornwall. Let's talk science! I don't know.